0: Morning. morning. It's good to see you all here today. Um it was funny, right after uh, Sunday school this morning, I uh could we turn off these overheads there I mean they are like <laughs> like a mall. Anyways, uh, after uh uh Sunday school this morning I was sitting there and we were getting ready to come upstairs, and and I looked at Sylvie, and I said, I forgot all my stuff at home, and she looked at me and said, oh, well, and I'm like, no, I really did. I left everything at home. I have no notes, no nothing, all right, so you're getting it live and fresh, so, no, I... And Sylvia says, ah, we're having a potluck then. I'm like, what? And she goes, well, back in the day, we, we had a preacher named Lee Arp, and he wanted to make sure every little thing was always taken care of, including potluck. I mean, what if everybody brings desserts and nobody brings the the main dish? And Sylvia was like, oh, we'll work it out. It just, you know, it'll work out. So we're having potluck today for, for church here. So, but seriously, I... Uh, I read an article lately uh a magazine I've read for many years that a lot of people have, for whatever reason just sort of popped up more and more people are reading it's called Christianity Today and I was reading this article and it talked about how uh today in America we're starting to see a, thank you we're starting to see a little bit of uh, uh a change in the, <laughs> in the in the in the and we're back. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We're seeing a change in the, uh, the the evangelical church now. The word evangelical is probably one you may have heard of before on the news, maybe in a book or a movie or something. Um, the evangelicals it's it, it's not necessarily a uh, it's not a church. It's not a denomination. Uh, evangelicalism is a movement right and all throughout church history there've been different times that there've been different church movements things you know god works and things happen and you know and and uh, you know things become the way that god had, had intended them to be and evangelicals are a, you know a, an interesting group uh the movement itself has been around for 60 70 years at least the modern version of it, but it really began to change in the 1970s, uh, Billy Graham, the Moral Majority, different groups like that, some of you may remember you know, hearing about those, those things, but an evangelical is somebody who really believes in really three or four central things, I mean, they went back to a, a firm belief in the Bible, the Bible is God's word, this is the authority. This is where we should get our you know, information, the, the way that we, we base our Christian life. It comes from the Bible. There was a strong belief in evangelism. we got to get out there and save the world. we got all these, the lost, and we need to go out there and, and, and take the gospel to them. We need to you know, be about you know, demonstrating a life for Christ. Number three, we have to be born again. That was a big part of the message and the, the 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 phrase "born again," and we have to be uh you, you know saved uh, these are words that we throw around in church all the time that really kind of got their you know their beginnings with the evangelical movement. Um, some of you may consider yourself to be a born again Christian or I got saved when I was Thirteen years old at church camp, I got saved. I mean, these are phrases and things that evangelicals like to use. And then finally, an activist kind of attitude. We have to get out and get busy for Christ. We have to do things. Uh, Christians can't sit around and and be idle. We need to get out and we need to preach the gospel. We need to feed the, 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 uh, the homeless and we need to help the poor and... kind of funny, one of my favorite heroes is a man by the name of Fred Rogers. Anybody know who Fred Rogers is? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mr. Rogers, okay. Mr. Rogers was more than just a kid's television host. I mean, he himself had gone to seminary. He was an a ordained minister. And one of the things that, that Fred Rogers, you know... He did a lot of things. His, his ministry in life was ministering to young children, little kids, and trying to help them with their, what we call, emotional development. Okay? Uh, his theory being, you know, if we can't help little kids express their emotions and their feelings and come to terms with the things that they feel, they're not going to be able to learn. They're not going to be able to, you know, that, those things will be stifled. A little kid can't worry about multiplication tables if he's more worried about where his next meal comes from, or uh, struggling with, uh, you know, mommy and daddy got a divorce, and you know, I'm scared. What does all that mean? I mean, we have to help children come to terms with those things. And later in his life, he had he he had stomach cancer. He actually died of stomach cancer. And before he died, he he told his wife one of the last things that he said apparently was. Am I a goat? Am I a goat? Now, if you know your Bible, you know he's, he was what he was referring to was there was a a story you know they, they, Jesus talked about you know the day will come you know they'll separate the sheep from the goats, and he was worried that he was going to be a goat. You know the goats are you're out of luck. You you want to be a sheep, all right? The sheep uh, you'll enter into your rest. The the goats, they'll, you know, be annihilated. And I'm thinking, if Fred Rogers is worried about being a goat, you know, what does that make me? <laughs> you know, you know, I'm pr- worse than a goat. I don't know what I am, you, you know. And so I worried about that for a good long time. And I thought about that, and I ran across this article of Christianity Today. It was talking about how In modern times, it seems to be that the evangelical movement is starting to find itself in crisis. Uh, The American church is at a a point of great crisis right now. What do we want to be? What do we want to see? Believe it or not, gang, uh, American Christians make up a very small amount of the, the universal church, what God calls His church. And Americans, we're just a little part of that. We like to think that all Christians are like us, aren't they? Don't every Christian in the world get up and sing praise songs and and run car shows and, and do things? You know, most Christians in the world, you know, it's very, very different. And one of the things that the author of this article uh, had talked about was, you know, evangelicals, for many of us, we get so bogged down and we have to understand our doctrine. I mean the Bible is the word of God. You better understand your your Bible and make sure your doctrine's good and and then, you know, boy, I got to get busy for Christ. I got to get out there and I got to do this and I got to do that. You know, can I still be a Christian if I don't feel like going to minister tonight? Can I still be a Christian if I really, you know, i want to read the bible but man i it's awful big i brought my big one today so you could you know uh, i don't know if i have the time for that can i still be a christian maybe i'm not a good christian anymore i really don't even understand what this means born again i mean in the bible when jesus said that people wonder "Well, what do you mean born again you can't Crawl back up into your mother and be born again. I mean, we use a language sometimes as as the church that the non-church, they don't understand it. I mean, we throw around words like, got to be saved. If you're not a Christian, you're like, saved from what? I didn't know I was in danger. What do I need to be saved from? You need to be sanctified, justified, so that you can become glorified. And people are like, well, I don't understand any of those words. I don't know, we start to use a language that nobody can explain, nobody can can talk about. And we want to get busy for Christ. We run, 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 and do all of these things. And, and as I begin to read this article, the author was very frank in that he, he mentioned that, you know, I begin to wonder about myself. Because one of the things that evangelicals are really good at is self uh What we call introspection, taking a look at yourself, really thinking about myself. How do I uh, compare? What's my Christian life like? Uh, You know, these things are important. And he began to ask himself just a very simple question: as an evangelical, as an American Christian, Protestant. You know, where? How would my life be different? If if I never prayed again, how would my life be different? If I never said another prayer, if I never prayed for somebody, I never uh, talked to God, how would my life be different? And it, to be honest, I read that and I begin to realize my life wouldn't be all that different at all. That might sound strange, coming from a a a, a pastor, an elder, a But would my life really be all that different? I mean, I could come to church and fake it. I could fake it real easy. I can get busy for Jesus, but never talk to him. I can go run this and do this and do that. And, you know, I can carry my Bible around. I may never read it, but I've got it. You know, so I begin to ask myself, you know, these really hard questions Do I really know who God is? I spend so much time looking at the Bible and learning about Him. But do I really know you? Do I really know who He is? Because that's what God wants for us. He wants a relationship. Somebody in in Sunday school today was talking about it's a relationship thing. I want to know Him, not just about Him. I want to serve Him. Not just be busy for Christ, doing these, these different things. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 42. 42nd Psalm. Not really chapters, I guess. but Psalm 42. It's a fairly famous one. We used to sing a song based on this. As the deer panicked. Uh, 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 you know, one of those 80s. Praise tunes, I guess. I don't I don't. Stuff your dad would have you know. Psalm forty-two was written by uh the psalmist as somebody who's going through a really rough time. This is a person in a severe spiritual drought. You ever been there? I know I have. Uh and uh as he begins to write, let, let's let's begin here, verse one. As the deer pants for the water brooks, your Bible will be different. You know? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. What do you mean, pants? I mean like, uh, uh, uh. One of the things I, I have a weird, twisted sense of humor sometimes, and God love them track kids after they run a four hundred. A lot of times they'll cross the line, they'll fall down, uh, and they'll lay there, you know, and I'm just like, that's so funny, you know, they lay there because they're moaning and groaning and I'm just thinking, thank goodness that wasn't me. I would not have made it to the 200 line. I'd have dropped out, you know, in the backstretch somewhere, but that's what panting is. They're like, uh, uh. you look at them, they're looking at you like, uh. I remember Kayla, the first time she ran, she ran cross country one year. I'm going to make fun of her here. I got her one more Sunday here, so I'm gonna make fun her. And it was her first race and in cross country, I think middle school was like one and a half kilometers, two two miles basically. She come in the whole race, I'm running around, yeah, go, Kayla go. And she come in and the down the uh, they made like this final thing you could run down and everybody's cheering and She ran through there and finished, and she had this look on her face like, I will never do this again. You can't make me. She goes, Daddy, I don't know if I could do this. You know, I'm just like, Oh, it'll be all right. It'll be good. That look of, Oh, my word, what have I gotten myself into? Now, she's not a quitter. She never quit. She stuck it out, got better every race. It was awesome. But that first race, that look of, Oh, And just the breathing. When I think of the deer panting for the water, that's what I think of. Because the deer in our our story here, this is a deer who's probably being pursued. There's a hunter. Something is after this deer. It is running for its life, And it has run so far and so hard that it is just out of air. And it's thirsty and parched and has to, it just has to take a break. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. Have you ever in your soul, in your very essence of who you are, longed after God like that? I know some of us have suffered loss. Some of us have suffered different things. In those moments, you may long for God. Lord, I need you. Where are you? Like the deers, I got to have a drink. I got to catch my breath. There's an old uh they use this in sports sometimes. Uh how do you know if you really want something bad? Something bad enough? This uh motivational speaker asked this uh football player, you know, "How bad do you want it, son?" He goes, "I want it bad, coach." Well, how bad? And the kid's like, well, I'm willing to do anything it takes to win. And he you know, gave him the speech. And the, the, the speaker goes, I don't believe you. You don't want it bad enough. You don't know what it means to want something bad enough. He, so the, the guy tells him, now, here's what you do, son. You, you take yourself down to the beach. Go out into the water. Get out over your head. Start treading water. Just keep treading. Eventually, you're going to find out how bad you want something. You're going to get out there, you're going to get tired, you're going to start to go down, you're going to start to fight, you're going to start to kick, and now, you, now you're getting an idea of what it means to, uh, to, to want something bad enough. When you start wanting air, how bad do you want it? This deer, this person is having a spiritual crisis. He wants God. God, where are you? I need you. I need you like a drowning person needs air. I need you like like the deer who's running for its life uh, needs rest. I need rest, Lord. Verse two, My soul thirsts for God for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while well, they say to me all day long, Where is your God? This guy's in a spiritual drought, the psalmist. Not only that, he's got people mocking him. Where's your God? Where's your God now? I have a a former student who I I still love and still like, but he's an atheist. And every once in a while, he'll take shots at the church and needle me a little bit, you know, when something, a tragedy occurs. Where's, Where's your God at? Why didn't he show up? I, I you know that, that kid that got killed, and that he he probably would have would have liked that. You know, where's your God? And when people say things to you like that, when you're in the midst of a, your own spiritual, you know, battle, I mean that that that's hard. That's harsh. The psalmist desperately, desperately wants God. Verse 4, these things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. I used to have it really good. I was right out there, head of the parade, having a great time. But that's not me right now. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, this idea of pouring out my soul. I looked at the, the Greek for this, and if you really look at the wording, what it, it references is like a, a, an emptying or a pouring out, like, like if I took a picture and I just started pouring it out to empty it. And I think about you know all of us, even us tough macho guys, you probably have shed a tear or two in your life have you ever had a moment where you had a deep, deep cry? That can be a, uh, a cleansing kind of thing, all right? You know, we live in a society, we're not allowed to show our emotions, fellows, we're not allowed to do that, but, but sometimes uh, in our own silence, people, even men cry, I remember the first time I saw my dad cry. I was horrified. I was like, "Uh." My mom was like, "Go upstairs. Go upstairs." Go upstairs. I'm like, "What? Yeah, what the heck is going on?" Dad had a he just had finally had enough, and that was it. He was emptying out, pouring out his soul. The psalmist is pouring out, basically, as my dad would say, he's spilling his guts here. He's talking to God. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's reminding himself, yeah, it's bad now, but God is still there. But then he goes back into uh, his weeping. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon. From Mount Miser. Now, verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves are rolled over me. Well, in verse 6, the land of the Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, those are the headwaters of the Jordan River. So it's very gentle, easygoing streams. Eventually you collect into the river and that, you know and on you go, all the way to the end where there's apparently waterfalls and you know, a lot of heavy water. So the psalmist is saying here, you know I remember you when things started to get bad, you know, the water started to pick up, the stress, the fear the unbelief, the not knowing, and now life has just gotten out of hand. It's racing ahead. I mean, now we're in the rough waters, and Lord, we're going over a waterfall here. The breakers and the waves, they've rolled over me. But the Lord, verse 8, will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. There have been times I've laid in bed and prayed for people where I feel like I'm saying, you know, I'm God, please. You're the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hoping God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my continence and my God. I love Psalm 42. And it occurred to me as I read this, this psalm where he is pouring out his heart to God. He's spilling his guts. Not once does he ask God, for help not once does he pray for himself not once does he ask for some to intercede for somebody else not once does he ask God, please make this go away No all he's asking God is God in the midst of all of this I want to know you. I want to know you I don't want to know about you. I don't want to remember I want you. I want God. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, so we're heading to the New Testament. And Philippians chapter 3, this is a letter that Paul had written to a church in Philippi. And in the middle of the letter here, he, he kind of gets into this idea, you know, what's the goal of life? What's, what's the point of it all? And Philippians chapter 3, Starting at verse 7, he he goes into a a, a pretty famous passage here. Paul says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And nothing's as important as Jesus. I have done a lot of great things in my life, Paul says, and boy, I could really toot my own horn, but no, I I, I can't. None of that matters as much as the loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, I give it all up for Jesus. Verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. What's the most important thing to Paul? That I know Christ. And of course, through Christ, we enter into relationship with God our Father. Verse 9, And that I might be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know him. Now the Greek here for the word know is not used in an intellectual sense. For example, I know that the Bible is a big book. I know Columbus is the capital of Ohio. I know George Washington was the first president. That's knowing something. The way that it's used in this passage of knowing would be like, I know my wife. I know what she would say about that. I know what uh, my kids would do in that situation. I know what my church would would, would believe. It's based on a relationship. When you get to know somebody based on the experiences that you've had with them. That's how you get to know somebody. Okay? Uh, Many, many years ago, when I, when Yola and I got married, we spent, I forget now, three or four years before we got married getting to know each other, learning about each other, trying to, you know, work things out, and can we really make this work? And that's knowing somebody. Okay. Her family didn't give me a, a paper. This is about Neola. I didn't read it over and go, well, I'm, yeah, I think I'll marry her. I mean, I know all about her. What else do I need to know? Vicki laughs and looks at Dave and just chuckles at him. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> How do you know somebody? Well, it's through relationship. That's what the psalmist wanted when he was crying out to God. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to know about you. I don't want to read stories about you. I don't want to sing songs about you. I want to know you. As Paul says, there's surpassing value in that. That's the most important thing. Do we really know God, do we know who he is? Getting back to the article, the author, he, uh, I remember, I don't have my notes. What did he say? Oh, um, he, he thought that, you know, the evangelical church, one of the problems is we don't really know God anymore. We're so busy for God. We got all these things we got to do. And it's important that we work for God. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't say, you know, John says we don't have to do anything anymore. That's not what I'm saying. If you find your meaning and purpose in life by doing things and not finding it in the one who you should be doing it for, you've missed it. I don't want to read the Bible so I can show off in Sunday school, I want to read it so that I can know Him. I need him. I want to know him. God hasn't done me the favor yet of popping up in my room one night and say, you know, let's have a talk. What do you, what do you want to know? I know you got lots of questions. Let's talk. Let's build relationship here. He doesn't do that. But I want to know him. Not just about him. I want to tell people about Jesus, yes, but I want them to see what He has done in my life. I can go to people and say, you need to be saved, or you're a goner. You're going to be thrown into the lake of fire if you don't accept Jesus. Or I could live my life in a way that people say, you know what, I don't know about God, but I sure would like to know. I mean, that guy, he really believes When I first started coming to church here many, many years ago, I thought it was just like any other church. I mean, it looks like a normal church. We sing, I had a piano and an organ and did the thing. But over time, I began to realize there were men in this church who actually believed this stuff. They're not just fooling around. Went over to Don Black's house. He wanted to show me his race cars, matchbox cars or something. I got, went down in his basement to see it. And the thing I noticed most, there on his desk was a big old Bible. Opened right up. I'm looking at the Bible, I'm like, this guy's for real. This is cool. Because when I was little, I was fascinated with, with the Bible and... You know, And then I saw Russ's Bible, and it was all beat up. And I was like, man, he must not take very good care of it. And then I started to realize, no, it's because he reads the thing all the time. Like, these guys are for real. They have a relationship with him. That's what I want. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want to just be busy to do things because that's what church people are supposed to do. I want to serve Him. I want to serve the One, the Creator, God, my God. Well, you might be asking yourself, you know, to wrap up here, you know, what about you, John? Did you ever find peace with God? Because I really struggled with that question. Would my life be different if I never prayed again, would my life really be all that different if I stopped reading the Bible? And would it really be all that different if, if I didn't do these things? And, well, I hate to tell you, but I have a relationship with God, and that's between God and I. That's between us. Sorry, God. I hope I didn't make you mad there. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for this this wonderful church. And I, Lord, I just I want to be faithful to you. I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. Lord, I want my friends. I want my family to know you. Father, help us not to be afraid to pour out our hearts to you, to look to you, to long for you. Father, be with this church and with all these people that I love so much. In the name of Jesus, amen.